Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legier, and I uh, have no co-pilot today. No Inda or Charisse to rein me in on my tangents about, you know, my, my favorite coffee or curry or, you know, the weather outside or my cottage office. Um, but I promise I'll get right to our feature interview today. And it's actually uh, the third in a, in a series of special interviews that we're doing with the New Brunswick Party leaders in advance of the September 14th election, which is actually coming upon us really fast. You know, we're heading into the Labor Day weekend and, and we're going to get back to work after that. And uh, the next thing you know, there's going to be an election here um, on the 14th on that following Monday. And uh, so, so far, I've um, had conversations with uh, Green Party leader David Cohn and People's Alliance leader Chris Austin. They were both uh, great chats. Both made very forceful arguments for uh, the strengths of minority government, um, with each of those parties having three seats. And so having a lot of influence over the legislature and the decisions made by the conservative government. And it's made for, you know, a very uh, collaborative uh, legislature over the last couple of years, especially with COVID-19. Um, so, you know, they're hoping that the, the legislature looks much like that after September 14th. And so we'll see what happens. Um, both uh, you know, Kevin uh, Vickers and Blaine Higgs would, would like to have majorities. And, and in my chat with, with Kevin, he makes that pretty clear. Um, but it was a really good chat with, with Kevin. Um, and he actually surprised me on a, on a couple of issues uh, because traditionally liberal leaders in this province are not as socially progressive as, uh, as our federal leaders. Um, their social views tend to mirror more the, the, you know, the views of the conservatives in the province. And, um, you know, it's not always the case. You know, Brian Glant uh, was, was a very progressive liberal leader and premier. Um, but Kevin, uh, on a couple of issues, you know, surprised me quite honestly uh, with how progressive his stances were. Uh, I think, you know, most notably of his uh, support for ab- funding abortion services at uh, Clinic 554 in Fredericton. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his support for um, the LGBTQ community and the services they receive there as well. Um, he's, you know, in the chat that I have with him, he's very outspoken uh, for support of the work that that clinic does uh, and, and the needs of those communities. Um, you know, most recently in the last couple of days, he's uh, come out in favor of a ban on glyphosate spraying. You know, again, that's, that's taking a different position than the last uh, liberal government and uh, in line with the People's Alliance and the Green Party. But that's not that he's lost, you know, some of his conservative uh, chops. He, you know, in the last couple of days, he's come out and promised that uh, he'd return New Brunswick to a balanced budget within three years. And that's going to be a big challenge uh, given given what we're going through in the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, he talks about his support for, you know, small nuclear reactors and that emerging industry in kind of the St. John region talks about the need to grow the cybersecurity sector, uh, you know, speaks in support of, you know, the Irving Oil Refinery and its continued attempts to grow as a company in the province. So we, you know, we touch on a wide range of issues uh, like that in our chat. You know, but Kevin and I begin our chat uh, with, by discussing a shared passion that we have uh, running, as it turns out. Morning, Kevin. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much uh, for joining me. I am uh, very privileged to be here. Great yeah. speaking to people in St. John. 
Yeah. So uh, right now I'm kind of, uh, we're back in our office here now. Uh, I'm in uh, the Red Rose Tea Building in, uh, in Uptown St. John. Um, no longer, I was working out of my cottage for a little while. So uh, staring at four walls now in an office is, uh, it takes a little getting used to. Well, you know, I tell people where I live up in Trout Brook, we've been self-isolating for decades. We just don't have a name for it. <laughs> so, so where do I find you this morning? Where are you today? Actually, I'm at our liberal office here in Frontington. Yes. Right. So you're at your, at your head office, uh, your campaign office. That's correct. Yeah. And what's it like in Fredericton today? Well, we have, we have a beautiful sunny day here in uh, Frankton. Uh, since the start of the election, I've been out for a run each morning and enjoying that immensely. And I also have my bicycle on the bus now. So I'm going to enjoy these early mornings prior to getting going on my day, either running or biking. It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually ad- admire that because I'm a runner myself and uh I can't find my way to getting up early in the morning anymore to go for runs. So I was out last night running the streets of St. John, like uh, six o'clock in the evening when it was still 20 degrees and uh, my son was playing baseball. So you're, you're able to get up early, are you? Absolutely. And, you know, we just have such a magnificent province. You know, each morning I'm running in a different town or village. And, you know, yesterday morning along the uh, river there in Moncton, it was just, just stunningly, stunningly beautiful. And, each place in New Brunswick has its own charm, its own own beauty, and we really are going to have to learn to be much more aggressive in promoting our province. And because I really see as big opportunities for us in tourism that we're not uh, seizing onto as we up until this time. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I, I'd be the same as you. I actually, uh, for me, whenever I, I travel, whether it's you know around New Brunswick or you know it's in you know other places around the country or other places around the world. Uh, I always find running like the actually a great way to explore a place and get to know a place. Absolutely, it's uh, it's uh, just an incredible, incredible province. Now with the the Fundy Trail uh, now open, this even brings more beauty access to more beauty uh, of our province. I I be a little bit political here. I guess I'm terribly disappointed in the announcement, Mr. Higgs, uh, cutting back and scaling back. Uh, the announcement that was just made a few weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago, uh, in completing the the, the Fundy Trail, um, I'm going to go back down there on uh, shortly and, and uh, see firsthand, as as Frank McKenna says, uh, our premier was penny wise and a pound foolish. Uh, we really need to uh, be aggressive and promoting our province, and this is a remarkable world class facility, and it should be built as such. Yeah. And I, I actually um, had a conversation with uh, with Frank uh, a few weeks ago for a podcast, and and he had told me that one of the things that he loves about being back in New Brunswick and working, um, you know, having to work remotely uh, in his role at TD Bank for now, anyway, that uh, getting out and biking is is one of his favorite pastimes here. Yeah, and I know Frank was recently just up on the Acadian Peninsula up in Caraquette and uh, Lamec and Miscu. Uh, exploring the bike trails up there and reports back from him or it's magnificent uh, as well up in that country. So on that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm to assume that you would see, and, and it, you know, it's a question that I've had for, for all the leaders around, you know, developing economic priorities coming, you know, through COVID-19 and, and, and out of the situation, I'm, I'm gathering from uh, hearing you uh, talk that you think that 
tourism is definitely one of those areas of you know economic development that we're going to have to pay close attention to uh, coming out of this. Oh yes, and, and tourism. You know, we just looked south of our border here with the Nova Scotia government. They're bringing in almost twice as much in tourism revenue, over two billion to our one point three billion uh, last year prior to the pandemic. And then they have an aspirational goal of $4 billion in revenue by 2024. We're not even on uh, the chart or even close to that. So that's a big opportunity. But Mark, uh, you people in St. John really are sitting on a once in a generation opportunity with uh, small modular nuclear reactors. And this is a passion of mine that we have to seize this opportunity right here in New Brunswick. We have the potential of creating 10,000 direct jobs and 40,000 indirect jobs in the, in the manufacturing and uh, distribution of uh, small modular nuclear reactors. You have two companies right there in St. John, ARC and Moltex, um, both with uh, dynamic plans that really is going to change uh, you know, the economic well-being of our province. I, I foresee... Uh, these small modular nuclear reactors being distributed around the world. And really, Mark, what I've been advocating, this is New Brunswick, little New Brunswick, opportunity to save the world from climate change, to save the world from climate change. And I am so excited and I'm so passionate, uh, and I will do everything possible to make sure that these two companies in St. John, uh, Moltex and ARC, um, have as much help as they need and required to make sure that we get this up and running. Yeah, you know, and I, I know those those two companies been been set up here now for a while. Do you see? I know for a lot of people, it's it's difficult to see that as a as an opportunity that they can they can grasp and understand because of the timelines and how long it could take to to develop uh, that technology and implement it. Well, you know, I just uh, uh, Rory O'Sullivan, who I'm in contact with with at uh, Moltex and Norm Sawyer at uh, ARC. Uh, they're very optimistic. Um, you know, I don't underestimate how quickly this can all uh, crystallize and, and uh, get get going. Uh, we're looking, uh, I know Mr. Sawyer was telling me with ARC, he, he's hopeful even as early as 2024. But, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, an opportunity. Uh, we're, you know, obviously uh, it's down the road somewhat, but you know, the opportunity that is certainly going to be worthwhile waiting for and and, and get and getting going. And I I believe that as these starts to progress, uh, things will crystallize very quickly. Right. On on kind of energy development as as an economic opportunity. I mean, you do. You, you have, uh, you know, the opportunity to, and we're seeing this in St. John, but other, other parts of the province, opportunities around developing, uh, you know, wind energy technology and, and, and nuclear. And, you know, yet we still sit, you know, in a, in a city, but in a province that, that relies a lot on, you know, the Irving oil refinery. Uh, and, you know, there's still hopes, though, perhaps faint of, of a pipeline. Um, and you've also got uh, natural, you know, the still the potential for natural uh, gas extraction, even though, again, that's another debate that seems to have died down here in New Brunswick somewhat, um, you know, despite the obviously priorities of the Higgs, the Higgs government. How do, you, how do you see that yourself in terms of, you know, where we sit now in terms of 
energy production and 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 export and and the transition into renewables how do you see that well yeah first of all I, when i was the ambassador of ireland i got to know uh, mr arthur irving very very well he, he bought a uh, oil and gas refinery over in ireland so i had occasion to meet mr irving on several occasions while i was there and he explained to me that right now um, off the coast of Newfoundland, uh, there are uh, tons and tons of oil. He tells me more oil than they'd ever, ever be able to refine uh, at, at his refinery in St. John. And uh, in his words, Ambassador, it's, it's green oil. It's oil that uh, is, is light and sweet, I guess, and uh, it doesn't require uh, during the refining process a great deal to to, to transition it into commercial commercial fuels. So uh, his his uh, vision for it, I guess, is it's going to be a lot economically um, a lot more economic uh, for him to use that uh, basin off of Newfoundland, which he sees coming on stream in the next couple of years. So I I, I believe that's the direction that uh, we're likely to go as far as. Uh, supplying uh, oil for the for the refinery. What about uh, the 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 debate around taxation issues and and large uh, commercial uh, operations like the refinery and the idea of you know taxing equipment uh, more fairly? Well, you know, I believe and I'm I'm an advocate. I think the province is in desperate need of of tax reform, and nowhere is that more evident than in. Uh, St. John, but it, it could be a whole compilation of things, not just focused on industry, but everyone paying their fair share of taxes, uh, I think, is, a, is the wider question of making sure that uh, our everyone uh, across the board uh, pays their fair share of taxes. So tax reform, obviously, uh, is something that uh, we need, and especially, especially is required in, in uh, St. John. And St. John, I believe, is in a, certainly in a, a fiscal uh, uh, challenge, a fiscal deficit where they're, they're facing, uh, I believe it's approximately $10 million annual shortfall, but yet uh, the city provides uh, the province uh, its industrial tax, I believe, in the vicinity of $8 million. So I'm committed to looking at that and seeing what we can do to uh, see that St. John keeps its tax, its industrial tax, and, um, and that way uh, can resolve the, the financial challenges that, that, that the city faces. What are some of the other, uh, you know, specific and broader economic opportunities that are there for New Brunswick? I know that you, you're, you're campaigning on, uh, on cybersecurity, which, you know, it has been a growing sector in the province and, and other parties have championed as well. Yeah, you know, the, the three, uh, my focus on the economic side, and I, I say this publicly, uh, my goal and the reason I wish to become Premier of our province is I want to transform the economy of New Brunswick. I want to transform the economy of New Brunswick. And I believe we can do that by coming together as a province, first of all, uh, all, our, all segments of our, our society, north, south, east, west, Anglophone, Francophone, and First Nations. Um, I believe that's vital that we all come together and 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 work as one for the for the good of good of uh, New Brunswick. But the three areas that I that I'm really going to focus on is is technology and cybersecurity is a big part of that. 
but as well uh, the green economy, which we just discussed, and small modular nuclear reactors. Uh, those are the three three key areas. Now, with regards to technology, uh, we have a great candidate that I was able to uh, speak with and is, has decided to run for the Ormont Lincoln uh, riding, and that's Mr. Steve Burns. And Steve is the CEO with uh, Bulletproof and uh, has been uh, front and center here in Fredericton in, in uh, startup operations and uh, helping companies get off the ground in the technology sector. So, but really, what we really need is a robust and aggressive plan to sell ourselves around the world. And, you know, it'd be people like Steve Burns, uh, who I want uh, representing the province, knocking on the doors of companies around the world and uh, getting them to come and invest here in New Brunswick. And as I say, we have uh, an incredible reputation. We have a skilled workforce here in the province. And the University of New Brunswick is front and center. But uh, again, there's going to be 3 million jobs worldwide by 2024 in cybersecurity. 3 million jobs worldwide in cybersecurity by 2024. And we need a piece of that pie. And I'm, I'm confident uh, if we're aggressive, if we're smart, if we're strategic, uh, we get out and uh, start in knocking on company doors literally around the world and making it uh, economically attractive for them to come here to our province and set up. I, I have every confidence that uh, we can do this and it will be a, a real game changer. Uh, you, you know, veering, veering away from uh, the discussion of the economy for uh, a minute, um, I uh, was, was very curious to see because I know and thinking of the issue of, of the cl clinic of 554 in Fredericton that, you know, for a long time, you know, party leaders from uh, both liberal and conservative in particular have been very have shied away from you know, discussing that issue and and sort of taking a stand on on funding uh, services abortion services and clinics like that so I was, I was very curious to see you come out in in support of that did your thinking evolve there or or was was that something you you believe for a long time no i you know i believe in women's reproductive rights and women uh, to control their bodies but I think I bring back a little bit of my policing background where, you know, I know women who live in abusive relationships uh, sometimes, or not sometimes, but often would be hesitant to go to a public health facility uh, in the event that their partner or spouse uh, would learn about it. And uh, again, that being a, a violent or abusive relationship uh, could, could uh, result in violence towards them. So... Uh, women having choice and access to safe um, abortions to me is is is, uh, is is clear, and as well, uh, Clinic Five Five Four uh, provides an incredible service to people who are transgender. Um, again, you know my background and in, uh, in policing, but uh, as well as ambassador in Ireland. In this case, I know that transgender people. Uh, can face challenges at public health facilities where practicing uh, practitioners, uh, med medical doctors, uh, see their condition as one of being uh, mental health and uh, hormone, uh, and when they should just be treated as to who they are, really are a, a transgender person.
it, it, in terms of, of providing those, you know, those core services to people, um, it, you know, it's, it's been tough for New Brunswick, especially with the main, the mainstream parties to, with the liberals and the conservatives to, um, to take these kinds of, uh, progressive steps. Um, are, are you hearing from any opposition from your, your party members or people, uh, you just on the street or are you, are you, uh, hearing support? I, I, I've, I've not uh, heard any complaints. I've uh, received uh, many, uh, much correspondence uh, complimenting for my position on this on this matter. But Mark, what, what this all boils down to is respecting the dignity of people, uh, respecting the dignity of people. And we, we as a society um, have to accommodate and ensure, especially women who have faced so many challenges, but women's rights and uh, uh, their reproductive rights, uh, to me, are uh, something that is uh, really deserves the highest of attention in our society. Right, and uh, you know, and of course, like that, that has real practical implications, right? Because as as the province uh, sees itself as 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 more open and and respecting people where they're coming from. Um, it's something that that is also important for you know growing the economy, growing the province, growing the diversity of the of the place, um, and it it makes me also think of where where kind of you stand on on uh, you know increased immigration and and making the the province more open and accepting and and eager to bring in people from outside, not just to make the province a more diverse place, which of course is so important, but also to uh, to growing the economy. Mark, your question is very wise. Uh, my goal, and the goal of our party now, uh, is to have a population in New Brunswick of 1 million people, 1 million people by 2030. And, you know, we're an officially bilingual province. And if you look around the world, Mark, there's over 300 million people who belong to the Francophonie. 300 million people that belong to the Francophonie. Uh, you know, if you had a target of, uh, you know, just a percentage point, you're, you're talking millions of people uh, to, to be able to come to our province. But no, this is critical. We have, as you know, our population is aging. It's aging quickly. It's having uh, big impacts on our healthcare system and our healthcare budget. Um, so we have to grow the population. It's, it's absolutely critical. And to tie in what you just said, like it, it is progressive. Uh, policies such as women's uh, rights and reproduction and uh, having an open and inclusive society that will help us attract uh, those people to get us to, our, to uh, achieve our goal of 1 million uh, population by 2030. Kind of continuing on that um, conversation around diversity, um, uh, this is going to say, this is me making another segue, Kevin. Uh, I've, met, I've talked to both uh, David Kuhn and Chris Austin in the last uh, few days, and they've expressed uh, great enthusiasm for minority government, um, which is another way of looking at looking at diversity and, and you know collaboration and inclusion. And they've you know both obviously from their point of view as as parties that have you know three seats each um, have really seen great gains uh, in terms of being able to work together in a way that you can't when it's a majority government situation and, you know, one party essentially, um, you know, dictates the, the tone and, and both in terms of policy and development. Um, how, do, how do you see that? Like how, what's, what's been your experience of seeing minority government work here? 
you know, I, I believe for it very well, and, uh, and I'm very proud of, uh, you know, the leaders coming together uh, on the COVID-19 committee for the good of New Brunswick and putting partisan politics aside to focus on the health and well-being of New Brunswickers. That certainly serves a, a great example. But, you know, uh, obviously, we, diverse parties and diverse ideas and diverse opinions and views. And so... Uh, I certainly, my goal is to attain a majority government so that I can go and implement uh, as best I can uh, my goal of transforming the economy of the province focused on those three trending sectors that I talked about, technology, the green economy, and small modular nuclear reactors. How do you see if you found yourself in a, in a minority situation um, do you have confidence that, that you'd be able to navigate that? Well, at the House of Commons uh, in Ottawa, where I was a sergeant at arms, it was a nonpartisan role. And, you know, uh, at the time, you know, I, I knew uh, Mr. Stephen Harper very well and Jack Layton very well, uh, you know, the different leaders of the uh, Liberal Party going through there at the time. So working all that time in such a large role and, you know, I had the responsibility of 1,200 employees and uh, looking after all the functions of Parliament. I had a budget of 59 million uh, union workers. I had four collective agreements that I that I that I looked after. So, I think I'm kind of uniquely uh, positioned to work collaboratively and cooperatively with with the other parties. Right. And now I know, you know, in, in the with the events that led to this election, um, were you disappointed that you didn't see a way to come to an agreement with uh, with uh, Mr. Higgs and the other party leaders on keeping this uh, current uh, legislature alive and that government alive? Well, the you know, the decision at the end of the day was certainly uh, Premier Higgs. Uh, he, he's the one that has decided to go over to Government House and, and have this election called. We have been on the record repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, assuring him that we would not take this government down in 2020, which would, in fact, reaches out to March. And we repeatedly have stated that we would not take this government down if the pandemic was still on the go in March. So, you know, this was his decision. Uh, I want to be very clear clear about that. But what he was asking for, or what our view he was asking for, was to have a majority government power in a minority government situation with the elimination of an official opposition without, uh, you know, he wanted us to uh, bring, uh, to sign on to huge issues, uh, you know, again, uh, municipal reform, uh, um, you know, the the things such as uh, the end of binding arbitration. And we just didn't feel that as an official opposition in a democracy that we could sign on to something of that significant uh, as uh, the minority government was never in the first place ever given a mandate by the citizens of our province to, to do such things. So, um, no, I, I'm, I, have, I, I believe what we did was right, was correct. Uh, we, 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 as an official opposition, were uh, dedicated to the principles of our democracy and uh, to give a minority government majority power and, and limiting the opposition, uh, official opposition, 
uh, powers as, a, as an official opposition uh, was just not acceptable. Well, thanks very much for your time, Kevin. Um, I'm curious, do you, do you have another bike or run planned for later today? No, uh, my, my schedule's full. If I get one good exercise in the morning, and usually I'm up around six or so, and to watch the magnificent sunrise in our beautiful province, uh, that, that does me for the day, Mark. All right, well, that, that inspires me. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll give that a try tomorrow morning. Very well. Have a great All day. Right. You too. Thanks very much, Kevin. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office, and that was the third of our feature conversations with New Brunswick party leaders leading up to the September 14th election. Thank you very much, Kevin, for taking part. It was a great chat. And uh, Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, Sharice Letson, and Tyler McLean. And you can f- subscribe to Huddle Home Office on your favorite podcast platform. And I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend and we'll talk to you again next week.